Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Evolution Podcast. I've got a special guest here. We're going to be talking about healing. We're going to be talking about how you can overcome whatever mental stress or whatever, what's the word, the best way to put it, whatever mental challenges you're going through. If you're going through anxiety, if you're going through depression, we're going to talk about ways in which you can overcome that with my guest today. And her name is her name is very special because we're going to make it rain. So, Raina, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Raina Lombardi, and I am an art therapist and mental health counselor. So what is art? Okay, because when I think about art, I don't think about therapy. So what is what is art therapy? Yeah, so it's kind of a blend of both, um, you know, fine art or studio art and psychology and counseling practices. And so art therapists are trained in both um, the art media. So understanding the way different uh, types of art materials elicit different forms of expression. Um, so we're trained in that, but we're also trained in developmental psychology and, um, you know, other counseling related theories. And we integrate that in the way we work with clients. So instead of just approaching things from a sit back and talk perspective, this isn't to say that we don't do that. We do that also. Um, but we will facilitate folks in an, an experience with the art that um, allows them to express things that maybe they didn't know needed to be expressed or uh, they were unconscious to, but now by bringing it forward, they can do something about it. Um, so it is a very niche discipline, uh, but I would say all of the art forms have their own uh, therapy discipline. So dance therapy, drama therapy, music therapy. Um, if there's some human expression, uh, somebody's doing some therapy with it. I've got, I've got a lot of questions and, and I've got, this would probably be the most interesting one. It's so how do you know, when do you realize, you know what? I want to be an art therapist. How do you realize <laughs> That's a really that? good question. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I didn't even know what art therapy was um, growing up. It wasn't until I was in college. I originally wanted to go to school for nursing. I really liked the idea of helping people. But once I started studying that, I realized it wasn't for me for a variety of reasons. Um, and the only thing that made sense was art. So I uh, pursued a degree in art. And while I was doing that, somebody said, hey, you know, there's this really cool uh, nonprofit organization that's working with adults with developmental uh, disabilities. I think you would be really interested in volunteering there. They engage them in all kinds of um, arts practices and then uh, have a gallery space where they sell their work and they were just doing really cool things. So I volunteered there and that's how I learned about the field of art therapy. I'd never even heard about it before. And once I learned about it, I thought, oh, I need to investigate more. And so I started doing research and looking into it. And, um, and then just it, it was like, once I found it, it just clicked. It, it made sense. Um, it uh, would allow me to pull what I was really passionate about, which was art, um, into helping people. And I felt like that was what I really wanted to do. 
Interesting. So in, in, in the sense as to what is the kind of person that basically goes into the position in which why would someone consider art, art as, a, as a form of therapy? Well, I think in if we look at um, if we look at history, let's start there and we look at human history, um, wherever humans, the, the evidence of our existence um, whatever remains you find, you're always going to find some artistic expression, um, whether that's cave paintings, whether um, that's uh, handprints and different types of uh, mark making on the side of a mountain, um, whether it's underground in old civilizations, art is always there. I think it is an innate part of who we are. Um, as human beings, we're here to experience a creative process. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a visual art creative process, but I do think every human is uh, creative in some capacity. And that in itself has intrinsically healing properties. And if we look at um, indigenous populations around the world, many of their healing practices really integrate um, the arts. It has not been as prevalent in Western societies, although I think with uh, the professions of the different arts therapies, um, we're seeing more of that um, in different um you know, medical settings and, and things like that. Interesting. So in a sense as to, I'm, I'm very curious. And my curiosity goes into perspective as to, if someone is going to, let's say someone just went through a bad breakup, right? They are going in a position in which, you know, this was someone they thought was very, very, you know, dear or near and dear to them. And they feel like they've lost a part of themselves. And now they're looking for a way in which they can overcome that. They, they look for a way in which they can get themselves back together. What what would is this the kind of person to be using art therapy and, and in what form of art art versus it painting? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question too. So the way we work is it's very individualized for the person who's coming in. So we would engage somebody in an assessment where we gather all the history, what's going on, how are they functioning. Um, where are they experiencing the most challenges? And then we put together a plan for how we're going to address those issues. And um, with the art therapy, it's really going to vary as to what medium we use. If somebody is feeling really, really anxious um, and overwhelmed using media that is really loose and freeing, that might contribute to that. So we want to be mindful of that. We might use uh, materials that are a little more restrictive. Um, it could be colored pencils. It could be paint, but maybe the paint might be like really thick um, acrylic, heavy bodied acrylic paint uh, where they can have more control over it versus um a loose paint like watercolor where there's not a lot of control over that material. 
so what is what I understand in the sense of the control, but what is what does it mean? Is, is there like subtle nuances to the, the paint, like the brush stroke? Is there like what does does that mean something? It could. <laughs> it okay, could. So, so I'm assuming in a position is to let's say we're looking for a thicker brush as opposed to a thinner brush. Is that like more of a perspective? Because you mentioned the word control. Is that more of them feeling like subconsciously they were more in control of your life? It it could facilitate an experience in that moment that would allow them to feel more regulated, right? Uh, if we think about our nervous system, our nervous system is either in a state of regulation or a state of dysregulation. If somebody's feeling overwhelmed and really stressed, anxious, um, their nervous system is probably dysregulated. And when that happens, there might be extra energy in the body that needs a, a release. Um, I'm sure you've observed people where they're sitting and their leg is shaking and they can't sit still and you can just see the nervous energy in their body. It's like they're vibrating, right? So to provide them with a an experience with the materials that would help calm the nervous system down, that might be something that we're looking at. But we also may be facilitating some symbolic expression in the art itself. But it really depends upon the goals. Most of us work from a process first perspective, whereas we're more interested in the process that somebody is going through and the experience that someone's having with the materials rather than the product or the aesthetic outcome of the piece. Um, although in some situations that may be the goal, it, it varies. And I know that's probably a really complicated answer, but it's a, it's a complex thing. <laughs> It's a little bit. It's a little bit on the complicated side, but but uh, this is the the part where it gets a little interesting. Um, have you had a case in which art couldn't solve it? Art therapy can solve it. Of course, of course. So, so what what would you say that person needed? What, what, I mean, if you are at liberty to disclose, I mean, you don't have to tell the person's name. But was it a severe situation? Like, what was the most severe situation you had to deal with? In oh goodness. Whew. <laughs> the All most right. severe situation. That's, that's a big one, but I'm going to break it down. So I will, this is what I will say. Of course, there's going to be experiences where art, where art doesn't work. And that could be, it doesn't resonate for that person, that that's not how they are best able to express themselves. And they just, it, it creates a barrier for them. And because it creates a barrier, it may not be the best uh, modality or, or um, approach to helping them accomplish their goals for healing. And they may need to work in another area. It could be maybe, um, maybe they need to do something with um, CBT therapy. Maybe they need to focus on reframing their thoughts, or maybe they need to do something with um, expressive writing. For some people, I do groups with adults a lot, and it will, it will come down to two things. Like somebody will say, I just, I'm not, I'm not an artist. I don't, I don't understand 
this. It just doesn't even make sense to me how to express myself. Uh, that's okay. Like if words are a better way of doing it, let's engage you in some expressive writing that that might help facilitate a healing process for you and allow you to understand things on a different level. You know, we use metaphor in our, um, in the way we speak about things. Um, cliches are, are really um, common thing that we use in just how we talk about our experience. And, um, and those hold deep meaning for people. It may seem like simple, but if we engage them in um, like exploring those metaphors and exploring those cliches, like why are you describing your experience in using that terminology? Can we go deeper? What else does that have for you to learn about um, in terms of meaning making? That can help people move forward. Whereas maybe the art didn't do it for them. And that's totally okay. Um, Okay, so I'm I'm gonna play I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Most people might not believe that you know art therapy in a way works. Sure. What would you say to that? If I'm coming from the camp and I'm like, no, I don't think art therapy. I mean, you can't solve your problems by just taking a canvas and just painting on it. Well, so if you just paint a painting and you do that on your own time, that wouldn't be art therapy. It might facilitate a cathartic release for you. You might have a discharge of energy, but it wouldn't necessarily be therapy because therapy constitutes the relationship between two people, right? The therapist and the client. There's something about having your process witnessed, validated, seen, understood like that process in therapy is really powerful when the therapist attunes to their client and is fully present and is is holding the space for that person to be vulnerable in their creative process that's a a, a therapeutic experience but if you're just drawing on your own time or painting on your own time it may be relaxing and, and you may derive some therapeutic benefits, but it's not necessarily therapy. Um, and when somebody like challenges uh, the work that I do, which does happen, right? Um, if you think about psychology in terms of um, like what, a lot of people don't believe in psychology. A lot of people don't believe in counseling. And then you have the expressive therapies, which a lot of people, even within the field, kind of look at like, I don't know, and question the validity of it. And I think we have a lot of work to do in the field in terms of providing research that validates its efficacy. But there are some studies out there that um, have looked at things like, what happens to an individual's uh, cortisol level in their body after creating art for 20 minutes? And they were able to demonstrate that those levels dropped. And, um, and cortisol, of course, is uh, 
the neurotransmitter that's associated with stress and chronic stress. Um, so dropping levels of cortisol in the body is going to be a good thing. Um, in terms of resolving people's problems, you know, that's, we can use the art to facilitate an experience, but it doesn't necessarily mean that all the problems are going to go away. But hopefully people will learn skills that allow them to cope more effectively, allow them to be more self-compassionate, allow them to reframe and change how they're thinking about things. You know, perspective plays a huge role in mental health. We are what we think and our experience is based on what we think. So if we believe something to be true, it's true, even if it's not. And art has the ability to help people see things from a different perspective because there's a tangible thing that we're looking at. Whereas most of us can defend ourselves um, and our ego uh, through talking, right? We've, we've created all kinds of stories that protect ourselves from change because the two things that are hardest in life are changes and goodbyes. Those are really hard for people. Most of us don't like change, even when it's healthy change. And most of us don't like endings, losses, transitions. Those are typically super challenging. And what the art process can do is facilitate experiences to help people to become more comfortable with those kinds of things, to tolerate change, to be able to accept when things don't work out the way we want them to, because that often happens in the art making process. And those kinds of things can be generalized to how we cope with everyday stressors. Okay. So have you ever been in a situation where you've had to resort to art to basically overcoming your stressors or or in some way overcoming a challenge? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's really what, you know, that's what drew me into going to art school. Um, I was much more interested in using art as a means of expressing what was going on for me internally than I was in creating something that's aesthetically beautiful. Um and not that, that there's not value there, there is value there, but um, yeah, there, art for me is a way that I process and understand um, what's going on in my life throughout um, all the challenges that I've experienced. It's, so have you, have you ever been in a position where um, you, this is, just a, this is just a rhetorical question, but have you ever been in a position in which you went to an art gallery, you saw the gallery, you saw the paintings and you know, you just went into like a, uh, you could tell the, because I, I believe in every art, there is an element of an emotional, emotional part of it is being communicated. Because I used to go to art galleries and I'll see just the weirdest paintings. And I'm like, and you'd see people just standing and staring at it. I'm like, what, what's going on here? So are you, are you able to tell when you see a painting, like you can tell like, okay, this is the emotion that the, the painter is trying to pass across. If you, are you able to tell that? Or, or that's not a superpower that you have yet? That is, I, I would say, um, I may be, un, may a, I may be able to look at artwork 
and put together a hypothesis about what the person was expressing. But I will never know that until I hear it directly from the creator. Whoever created it, they had an intent. And that's what's interesting about art too, is, you know, when we view art, we're viewing it through our own worldview and our own biases and our own understanding. You know, um, every culture has different associations with colors, right? So what red means in one um, area of the world is going to be something totally different in another area of the, the world. And so I could look at a piece of art and think, oh, this is what's going on here. But I could totally be misinterpreting that based on my own biases from my worldview that's not taking the artists into perspective. And as an art therapist, that's something that, you know, we learn to do is not to interpret the art, allow the artist to explain and share what they meant by it. We can come up with hypotheses and say like, okay, I'm noticing like this pattern keeps coming up. There's something significant about this particular um, shape that you're repeating or, or there's lots of eyes in here in your artwork. Let's talk about what the eyes mean to you. I might have a, a thought about what it means, but I could be totally wrong. Interesting. So, and, and, and just in hindsight, what, what inspired you then to, you know, not only are you doing the art therapy, you then go ahead and start a podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think I started the podcast because I, one, when I moved to this area of Florida, I had a very difficult time finding what, what my part way. Of Florida, what, what part of Florida did you move to? I'm in Fort Myers, Florida. That's the rich. That's for anyone who's watching. So Fort Myers is on the on the western side of the western shore side of uh, of Florida. You have Fort Myers, Naples, and then you have I think Sarasota is north of Fort Myers. North, right? mm-hmm. yeah, north. north. So Sarasota is where you have the rich folks, right? And then you also have some of them in Fort Myers as well. That's a great neighborhood, by the way. Yeah, it is. It is. A, it's a beautiful area. I mean, we're still kind of like rebuilding after Hurricane Ian um, in 22 okay. uh, that really kind of devastated our community and like leveled the beach areas and low lying areas. But it is a beautiful area. Um, but when I moved here in 2005, there really wasn't a lot of knowledge or awareness about mm -hmm. art therapy. When I would tell people that that's what I studied, they would ask me if I did therapy for artists because they like, didn't, it, it, it was like a construct that uh, mm -hmm. they hadn't heard of before. And so it's difficult for me to kind of navigate and find my way. And eventually I, created my own private practice. And that was what um, allowed me, I feel like, to really uh, set myself up here because I could work in a way that I felt like I had autonomy over. Before I was working in other agencies and mental health agencies where, yes, I could provide art therapy, but that wasn't my primary job. I could do it, but they wanted me to do, you know, the 
more traditional um, other areas of mental health, which was fine. And I learned a tremendous amount. But what I was really passionate about was um, bringing the art to people. And so by having a private practice that allowed me to do that, and then other people started asking me like, well, how did you do that? How are you, you know, being so successful? How are you, um, how did you create your, your practice and, and those kinds of business questions. And that led me to develop the podcast, but relatively quickly after that, I realized the best part of having the podcast was being able to interview other different creative and expressive arts therapists or therapists that were, that um, were just inherently creative and doing really creative things outside the therapy space that had a positive impact on their communities. And it was exciting to hear about what they were doing and learn from them and to be able to share their work um, with the world uh, through this um, world of podcasting, which is so cool. So how important would you say is uh, mental health? How important? Because if, if it's an individual, I don't think a lot of people prioritize mental health, but I always want to say how important it is, is in making mental health a priority in, in, in one's life? Gosh, I mean, if you don't have your mental health, if you're, if you're not mentally healthy, it's probably going to have negative impacts on various spheres of your life. You're probably gonna have struggles with interpersonal relationships or your relationships with others. Um, you're probably gonna have a difficult time with the relationship that you have with yourself, um, which we refer to as our intrapersonal relationship, right? Like, how do I relate to myself? Am I self-accepting? Am, am I um, compassionate with myself? Do I allow myself to experience mistakes, experience failures? Um, or if I do that, to I then go into this mode of punishing myself in some kind of way, whether that's through some harming behaviors or self-sabotage. Um, I might also be having difficulties with occupational stuff. Am I able to hold a job? Am I able to get up and go to work in the morning? You know, for folks that experience major depression, um, the attendance is usually, um, a big problem, whether that's youth in school, where they're experiencing a lot of truancy as a result of it, or um, as they um, are older and have adult responsibilities with jobs and things. It's hard to motivate oneself to get up and be responsible. Um, you know, people that are depressed don't have a lot of extra energy in their body to, to do something. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're not mentally healthy, it's probably also going to impact your physical health again, because um, it's going to impact the choices of how well you take care of yourself. What are you eating? What are you drinking? Um, how are you taking care of your body? All of those things. So in my opinion, I feel like it's a body, mind, spirit situation, right? Like all of those, it's like 
really an essential part of our holistic self, right? Our whole being um, has to do with. But, 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 okay. So this is where it, my, my, you know, I, I agree 100% with everything you're saying, but there's just a few parts of it where I'm kind of um, a little, you know, taken back in the sense as to, I think in the current generation, I think everyone is aware of mental health because, you know, I mean, anyone you talk to is like, well, you know, trauma, past trauma, mental health, all that stuff. Right. But there's a, there's an element of it that makes me go, I think people are so, have you, you're familiar with the reticular activating system, right? The yes. part of the brain, the part of the brain that shows you more of whatever you're focusing on. Right. <laughs> yes. So, so if, if we we're on a, because uh, you know, just a, just a few, let me just get, get the audience in, on what a reticular activating system is. So the reticular activating system, think about it as basically a filter, right? So you see a million things, but only ones you focus on is actually what's shown to you. So let's say you drive a white Kia, Kia Sorte, right? One of those cars. And you notice down the street, you start seeing other Kias. You keep seeing Kias everywhere, Kias everywhere. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm in the market for a, uh, a Honda Accord, right? And then all of a sudden you look up a Honda Accord online and then you go back on the streets and then all you start seeing is a Honda Accord. And you're like, wait, everybody's got the same car that I'm looking for. That's the same scenario. That's what your particular activating system is, is it only prioritizes what you're focusing on. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is I think there's this obsession, like people, a lot of people have this obsession with mental health, like, oh, you know, mental health, mental health, they, they, they end up causing more problems just by the obs obsessing over it. If you, if you get my question there. Yeah. So what I really hear you saying is like, there's maybe some people that take it to an extreme mm -hmm. and, um, and it is that, that extreme that then becomes problematic. They're so uh -huh. obsessed with it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I could see that. I think we're starting to see a little bit of that, uh, because there is so much more awareness, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I think it shouldn't be taking up your entire day. It shouldn't be your entire focus for your entire life in terms of like treatment for mental health, right? Unless you have some type of chronic and severe mental health condition, sometimes that does require lifelong care, right? For folks that have maybe schizophrenia or some type of um, psychotic disorder, uh, that might be true. But for the average, um, let's say, uh, um, you know, typical individual who's going through life stressors, they don't have a diagnosable mental health condition, but they're overly focusing on that, that could then turn into a mental health condition, the over-focus on it. Um, yeah, I... I know it's a long, it's a long-winded, it is it, a series, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's got a series of um, path you could take to answer it. And I, I've got this one question for you that no one's been able to answer for me is, is there a cure really for depression? Oof. That is a really great question. And I, um, hmm. I don't know that if we looked at, at the research, that the research is going to, um, suggest that there's a cure. 
I think that we have certain types of treatment that can help. Um, I think going back to what you were saying about the reticular activation system, um, we can look at depression as related to thinking and thinking ourselves into feeling certain things. And we can look at it as uh, there's something with our chemical composition, our body's not producing enough of a certain chemical, or it's not um, grabbing on to enough of it when it's released. Um, so we could look at it like, okay, is it chemical? Is it thought? Um, I think if you have major depression, if you've experienced major depression, um, it can feel like there isn't a cure for a lot of people. And they get into the mindset that nothing is going to change it, right? Um, a very fixed binary perspective. And I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge is to help people um, break out of that binary kind of thinking of like, this is, this is never going to get better. Um, or I've always felt this way, therefore I'm always going to feel this way, so why bother? But it goes back to what you were saying, you know, the core beliefs that we have create the program and that program is going to be searching for evidence all the time to reinforce that core belief. And, you know, we have, um, it's just one of the natural biases that we have. It has protective factors for us, but um, it gets us into a lot of trouble, uh, so if somebody believes that they're not going to get better, I believe they're not going to get better, but if somebody believes that they're going to get better and they're going to work towards getting better and they're going to uh, apply a multifaceted approach to, um, taking care of their depression, then I think they will get better. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I think, I think, you know, in my personal, you know, perspective, I think, uh, I hate to use the word, but the word out of sight, I think also diet, you know, recently a friend of mine just, we just kind of came to the part of you, a lot of people don't eat healthy enough foods and stuff to basically, because I believe what you put in your body also is used, you know, your body uses, if you eat fruits, you know, and I think a lot of people have a poor diet and they don't have enough social exposure personally to me, if I'm thinking about that. But I, I don't think there's necessarily, a, I think everyone expresses, experiences depression to a degree, but but I wouldn't say to the point of like severe or borderline, but in a sense as to maybe you lost a family member, right? I mean, then, then again, it, it's probably right. so. Um, but I also think in, in that scenario, there's a situation where you don't wanna be alone. I think, you know, a lot of people need to look at their personal environment. If we're being honest, majority of people's environments is not cultivated to be um, healthy. I just realized recently that the more exposure you are, you have to the sun, the the the, the less likely do you have to actually expose, experience uh, um, depression. But as we wrap yeah. up, I've got some interesting questions I want to ask. I call them the dumb, fun questions. Because I had a guest and she was like, well, we can't call them dumb. I was like, all right, good. Let's call them fun questions. So uh, first question is, do you ever run out of colors when doing art therapy? 
No, no, there's no, absolutely not. There's always no. enough colors. Is it? Okay. Have there's you always. Ever, there's always enough colors. Okay. So have you ever mistaken a client's artwork for a famous painting? Um, I've never mistaken a client's artwork for a famous painting, but I definitely have seen client artwork that could be famous. So like it's really good. Yeah. There's been a few gifted people. Okay. All right. Uh, that's, I mean, did you, did you let them know though? Did you, did you say, Hey, I could be a manager. Uh, no, <laughs> no, that's not, I'm not interested in, in that, but certainly um, encourage them to, you know, per, pursue it and encourage them to show their work and to um, lead them in that direction of how to do that, how to get into galleries, how to show your work, how to enter into shows. I have done that for folks that want to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Last question. So the clients get to keep the art supplies after the session. They typically do not get to keep my art supplies, but they get to keep their artwork. Their artwork is their creation. And so they do get to keep that if they want it. Sometimes they don't. They want to just get rid of it. And so that might be part of the process, too, is destroying it. So now I have another question. So do you, when you, after each session, do you give them like a prescription of how many paintings to do a day? No. <laughs> No, but I, I mean, I encourage them. I encourage them to create art in their own time. I encourage them to keep an artistic journal and, um, and express themselves in that way and bring it in. Um, yeah, but no, no, no prescription of how many paintings to do. I love it. Okay. So Reina, as we wrap up here, any last words, any project you're working on, anywhere you want people to be able to find you? Um, sure. People can find me at uh, my practice, FloridaArtTherapyServices.com. Um, and there they'll find uh, myself and the other therapists that work in my practice and the variety of services that we offer. And, um, and if folks wanted to check out the podcast, they can look up the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. It's available on YouTube, but it's also available wherever people listen, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, things like that. And if folks are interested in consultation services, uh, they can find me at uh, creativeclinicianscorner.com. All right, guys. Well, you've heard it from uh, Raina, our one and only art and healing specialist right now that we've had on the podcast. The first art and healing specialist that we've had on the podcast. So the links are going to be in the description, guys. So definitely go check out our podcast. Definitely go show some love. If you're in the Florida, Fort Myers area, and um, you feel like you need a little bit of healing, and you want to have a very unique and creative way to do it, then I absolutely think you should definitely go check out Reina's work. And Reina, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the Evolution Podcast. Everyone, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, like the video so more people get to see this. And then if you are on Spotify, hit the one of the buttons that Spotify has somewhere. Or if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts. Honestly, guys, I, I, I didn't even know we had this, that much listeners on Spotify. But so apparently, yeah, I have to start saying this. And if you're on Apple Podcast, which, uh, yeah, if you have an Apple Podcast, hit whatever button Apple has on there. Um, and again, Irena, it was great having you on. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. You guys have a great.